Punk's not dead, and neither is New Wave. Join Buzz and Ben on Static Rage, the Punk and New Wave album review podcast. I'm Ben. With me is Buzzalicious Buzz Will. How are you doing tonight, Buzz? I'm doing pretty well, and I'm ready to kick off this wonderful fall season because the weather finally got cool here, so it feels like fall right now at night, even though it's still sweltering during the day. It's about right for this time of year. Indeed, and how are we going to kick off the fall season? Well, since we're kicking off the fall and we're getting kind of that spooky season, even though my house and some other people's houses I know have been already decorated for the coming holiday, I thought it might be good to get a little on the darker end of things because we have touched on goth music in the past and we've done a few bands, but fuck it. Let's go back to where it all pretty much started. And like the, one of my favorite things about the fall and the spooky season is the bonfires and like the crackle of the flame, we've decided to do ball houses, crackle, otherwise known as crackle, the best of ball house. Released on July 7th of 1998, with a runtime of 75 minutes and 26 seconds on Bigger's Banquet label. The band, the lineup you know and love, Daniel Ash on guitars, Kevin Haskins on drums and percussion, David J on bass, and Peter Murphy on vocals. And if any of those names sound familiar to you, you might know them. Know at least three of those people from another band called Love and Rockets, which I don't know if we'll ever talk about on this podcast, but it's also worth listening to as well. We bay, we bay. I'm not sure. They're they're not quite on the dark end of things, but it's 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 still a cool band to listen to. But um, I guess we should kick this off and start discussing just why we picked this one. Yeah, let's do that. So, Buzz, why did you select this one? I selected this one because I really like the other three studio albums that Bauhaus did, and I realized that they did one back in 2008, but um, I kind of stick to their earlier stuff as far as what I prefer to listen to. And when I have to bring this band up, about the majority of the songs on this album or what I kind of point people to. And the five listeners listening to us right now have probably heard this band. They've probably heard most of these songs on here. However, in the off chance we get someone that has never heard this band, this is kind of where I, I try to point people towards. In fact, I've lent out my CD that I have of this to several people in the past to make them listen to it and kind of get an idea of what this band is like. Yeah, this is as far as career retrospectives go a good one and that not only does it contain a lot of the albums or excuse me the tracks from those first three albums as you mentioned but it also includes a lot of the singles so like their most famous song Bella Lugosi's Dead is on here which was not on an album originally Sanity Assassin is on here Um, their cover of Ziggy Stardust is on here so it, it collects We have to remember that they came out at a time when singles and singles bands were a thing. Not that they necessarily were one, but you you could release a song as a single and not have it be on an album. And this just collects all of that. So, or not all of it, as in their entire recording oeuvre, but all the stuff that you would probably want to listen to if you are a fan of the band. 
and that's kind of where I, I thought we should go with this. Um, I, we could have, I mean, we could have picked in a flat field because that's probably my favorite album from them, but about half the album, I felt like people would like, and the other half is very experimental, which I enjoy, but you know, it didn't, I wanted to kind of catch everything and just have a, a mass encompassing of the majority of the things that they're known for. Yeah, and so this is going to be, and it will be reflected in my grade because it is, it's not uneven because it's a collection. Necessarily, it's uneven because it wasn't put together like an album, and and I will reflect that when we get to the grade. But one thing that I actually liked about doing this compilation, which I wasn't really super stoked on because we hadn't done one yet, and I was kind of like, oh, we're an album review, but cool, let's do it is that you can actually see the growth of the band. Because if you look at some of those first tracks, they're a lot punkier and they're a lot more aggro. The production, even though it's been remastered, still isn't quite as good as a lot of the later stuff is. And you can actually see their growth as musicians in a band. And with that growth and full encompassing of of most of the things that they've done... It's interesting to hear them go from, like Ben said, from a almost post-punk early goth to when you get about middle way through the album, like, oh, this is definitely more of a, of a goth band that I you you might be you might have heard of, like in a club somewhere. And then towards the end, they get a little more a little more pop-ish, and of course, we'll go into that. And it's I, I certainly don't think it's in a bad way, but you do hear them more of as musicians rather than just like, hey, we're going to make art. And that's kind of where I want to start this off at once as we're getting into this album. Um, let's talk about the name for a minute, Ben, and I'll, I'll let you talk about that. Okay. Well, of course, this is a rock band, but it is actually named after the German art school, the Bauhaus, and that art school movement. Originally, they called themselves Bauhaus 1919 because that was when the art school first operated. They, of course, changed that, but it's it's just a a style of German art that kind of grows out of the First World War and is actually very big during the Weimar Republic before everything collapses and the Nazis take over in the 30s. Um, but it's very expressionist, and it's, it's, it was very technical and, and modern, so it's that's why I think they used the term. You may have, I think you know a little bit more about Ballhouse, the band, than I do, so I'll defer to you on that so i was actually going to say the same thing you did um i was hoping you'd bring up the uh Bauhaus 1919 uh, just simply because I, I always felt that was interesting to know about um so i didn't know about german expressionist art when i was a young buzz back in my middle school days um so when this album came out i had heard of them but i didn't write really quite know what to expect and lo and behold i go to the cd store because that was the thing back in the mid-90s or late 90s, I guess, by this time. Oh, look, there's a CD there. So this is actually the second or third CD I bought with my own money. Um, But I always wondered about the name, and I, you know, got into finding out, what is this Bauhaus? What is this? And looking into it, I was kind of shocked that, oh, wow, why didn't I see this before? Of course, it's an artistic band. They took an artistic name. Um, and a, that reflects a lot of the songs. Um, a lot of the music they have is very artistic. I would dare say that if the word goth was not or was not being used right now, I would almost call this an, a dark art band, if that is such a thing. 
yeah. uh, especially with the lyrics and how everything melts together. Um, and in the past, if you've listened to our podcast, we talked about Joy Division and uh, Susan the Banshees. Uh, we brought up post-punk over goth. That's really where this band fits more because this is one of the bands that does not like the term goth. Um, with that said, another thing that I find interesting about this band is they actually use an emblem um, by Oscar. I'm going I'm to ruin this, this last name, so apologies in the hand. Oscar um, Sklemmer, I believe that's how it's pronounced. I'm not German, so I'm, I'm not going to try to butcher it anymore. Um, but he was actually associated with this art school in Germany, and he came up with this. It's kind of like a half face in a circle. Um, it's kind of what it looks like. It's supposed to be like a shadow of a face. They ended up adopting this and using it on some of their artwork, um, on some of their albums and some of their uh, EPs and things of that nature. So seeing that they came from that art, if you will, and trying to use it in music has always been something of enjoyment for me. Yeah, that's actually the symbol for the um, art form, the, the school itself. Uh, and I believe it's uh, Schlemer, but I could be wrong because my German is also not that great. I've actually been to one of the Bauhaus museums in Germany. And the art style was meant to compose or combine crafts and fine arts to make functional art uh combining mass production with individuality which i think is so kind of think uh the closest probably american thing you can think of to that is um andy warhol it's not the same it's not as quite frankly as weird as some of warhol's stuff was it's not a psychedelic but it, it is very clean and modern and functional designs. And that half face that you're talking about, that profile, is a great emblem. And you can really, and in listening to this, you can actually see why Bauhaus chose that as their name, I think. Maybe that's me looking back, knowing what I know about it. But if I didn't know that, and which I didn't actually when I first heard Ballhouse. I had no idea, like you said, that it was named after a German art movement when I first heard the band. But looking back on it, with that knowledge, when I gained it, it made sense. And I wanted to kind of touch on that because as we discuss this this album and this band in general tonight, uh, that's something I think listeners should remind themselves of is this is where it, they got the name. This is where kind of they get some of their, at least I think, uh, production on how they put all their music together. Um, it's, I don't want to say jumbled because jumbled makes it sound like it's negative, but it's almost like it's random, but it's put together well. And mm-hmm. now that you've given our listeners the definition of Bauhaus art, um, when you listen to some of these songs, you might have a better appreciation of that. I can actually kind of see, too, why they don't necessarily like the term goth. Because um, I, I, not to jump into the songs, but there are very few of their songs that necessarily are goth. It's just one of them is so fucking goth that it kind of defined what goth was. I would agree with that. Um, and talking back to when we discussed Joy Division, how I, I think I had mentioned some, one of, either it might have been you, one of us mentioned along the lines of, there's post-punk and then there's goth and they technically are two different things, but a lot of what people assume to be quote unquote goth music is really post-punk because it's more punk influenced. 
that's really where I feel this band falls more than, than what I would call goth. Um, mm-hmm. That said, a lot of their lyrics are, I think, extremely poetic, which is something you hear a lot of in, in goth music in general. Um, so I can kind of see that, especially with, I think, the early stuff, um, even taking Bell Lugosi's out of this. Um, and this is jumping into the songs, but the first three tracks on this album, well, the first two are from In the Flat Fields, it's from their first album, but the first three in general are just like some of the more, what I would cons- what I remember going to is going to goth clubs in Nashville a lot um, when I was younger, listening something close to that, listening to when you walk into a club. Um, and it always reminded me of that going, okay, this is, it's almost, it's not really dance music, but it's not really like bang your head and, and like start to mosh music either. Um, and so I feel like that's kind of where they fit in. Totally. I completely agree with that. So um, I guess I want to start out talking about the, um, not so much the production, but uh, just musically. Um if you've never heard this band before, um, what I'm getting ready to say might sound strange, but I dare say this band is closer to what I consider my definition of punk music more so than some other punk bands. And what I said on our very first, first podcast about punk is that it's a controlled chaos. A lot of the, a lot of the tracks on here, they seem like they're chaotic. It seems like Daniel Ash is doing one thing while, uh, you know, David J is doing something else. And then you got the guy on the drums in the background doing his own thing. And if you heard these things individually, it would be very random and you might be questioning what the hell is going on. Um, then all of a sudden Peter Murphy comes in with these vocals. And I just want to say from the offset why I enjoy Peter Murphy. I enjoy his writing. I do think he's an okay singer. I don't think he's the best vocalist I've ever heard, but with all four of those things mixing together at once, you don't think it would work and it actually works very well. So, as musicians, I dare say that this is one of the better bands to listen to because they can work with chaos so well and make it into something that's controlled. Yes. And I think that's a really good point. Um, my definition of punk is just slightly different, uh, but I do think that by that definition, the controlled chaos, they definitely have that. And it doesn't ever feel... It always feels like it's on the verge of spinning out of control, but it never does, to your point. And, uh, you know, that that's just something that I, I think needs to be said, because the first time I heard this band, I, I didn't like it. I'll be, I'll be up front. Again, you know, Young Buzz, being into more angry, aggressive music and hearing this for the first time, I was like, what the hell is this? And I had to listen to it a few times to actually appreciate what was going on. Then it's like, oh... Oh, they're not just like doing random shit. They're actually, they know what they're doing and they're doing this on purpose. Um, and when you realize that, I feel like that's kind of where the genius of this band comes into play. Um, and we, we might get more to that here a little bit later. We might not, but that, that is something that I, I noticed as I started growing up listening to a lot of this music is, oh, well, there's more going on than what you, what's essentially on the surface, which again is something that I'll enjoy about goth music. Usually there's a deeper meaning to it. Um, so the first song by this band that I heard, which is on this, of course, is the the one that they're most famous for, Bella Lugosi's Dead. I had a roommate who had the goth box or the Black Bible or one of those compilations of goth music, and it had that song. 
And I just remember loving that song so much when I first heard it. And I still like it today, even though it, you can make an argument that it is overrated or overplayed. And uh, I guess if you are, are super into goth music and listen to goth music all the time, it probably is because it's, it's one of the few mainstream goth songs. But like I said earlier, even though I don't consider this band goth, that establishes so many of... I mean, Peter Murphy actually even sounds kind of different on that because of the way he's singing. Um, that it established a lot of the tropes that became goth music. So when I then went back and listened to Bauhaus the Band, and it doesn't sound like Bella Lugosi's Dead, I was like, what the fuck is this? And so I was kind of disappointed too because I had an idea in my head of who this band was, and they are not that all the time. And I guess I'll just let's just go ahead and talk about Bella Lugosi's Dead because I feel like that's people that see this are going to go, what? That's the only song I know. So first off, let's talk about the length. It's like nine and a half minutes long, roughly. Um, the majority of that is. Um, is Kevin in the background on drums and every now and then David J plays a bass line and eventually at some point in the song Daniel Ash comes on and he plays like a three chord progression that's like a discord so again going back to what I talked about with uh, being a control chaos mm -hmm. those chords sound really off they do not sound like they're supposed to be there but they work so well uh, another thing he does with his guitar is he um, he it's some kind of reverb that he has to it to where it's a squeaking, but it's him on guitar. And it the more I listened to it, I was like, I, I, I'm envisioning either like rats or bats. And it's wonderful. That that's that's kind of what they're going for. Um, and before I get too much farther into this, the other thing I really love about this band is it's just a guitar drum and bass for music they don't use any electronica at all so any kind of ambient noise you might hear anything that sounds like it's not played on one of those instruments it actually is and i i always applaud bands that can do that um but with that song there's maybe like i what 50 seconds of 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 uh peter actually singing and the rest of it is just like ambient noise um You'll, 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 there's probably more than that, but I'm, I'm making a generalization because there's yeah. not just only like two lines in the whole song. Um, and I, I've actually had someone before classify that song as almost trip hop in a way because it kind of sets you into this <laughs> lull. Um, and I could, I could kind of see that too. But no, if you've, if you've ever seen any show, movie, that where the people making it had no idea what goth was, you fucking hear this song. Uh, it's been on American Horror Stories on Supernatural. Um, it, it was, I think they played it on fucking South Park, or at least they made fun of it at one point. Um, so it, it's out there. You've actually probably heard the song. If you've seen the movie The Hunger, it's like the title fucking track. Um, fucking uh, Peter Murphy is like dancing around the, in the opening credit scenes. Um, so it's out there. Everyone knows the song, even if you don't know the band. Um, so that's, even though it's track number four, that's the one that everyone knows about. And I'm actually kind of surprised they didn't lead with it. 
Well, you know, and I am I am too because I think they actually they recorded that before they recorded the first album. So, um, yeah, it was um, I, if I'm going on off memory of what I've read on online over the years, but my understanding is uh, Daniel Ash and Peter Murphy got together and were just like, hey, hey, I want to do this real quick. What do you think? Hey, let's do this and let me add some lyrics to it, and it it, it became Bella Lugosi's Dead, and that was I don't know if it was their first song, but they did make it before their first album even came out. And this is like 78, 79 when they wrote that. And their first album was, I think, 1980. So, yeah, um, there's Something that. like that anyway. Um, so that's, that, that's just interesting that it's their most popular song is not any of their albums. Yeah. Um, except for this one, which is why I wanted to do it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's, it's, it's one of those, um, one of those things you can't really ignore the cult. I guess I'd say cultural significance, but I'm going to, you can't really ignore it. Everyone, damn near everyone's at least heard of it, or at least you've heard it and you don't recognize it. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is if you ever play Vampire of the Masquerade, and I keep going back to this at the very beginning of the revised, uh, core book, the very first line is Bella Lugosi's dead. And so am I. And the fact that they reference that song, um, especially their older stuff, I always kind of got a giggle out of. No, totally. And the sleeve or the cover for this, you have seen a million times too, for that single, um, Bella Lugosi's dead because it's, a, a vampire bat-looking thing, and black and white looks like it was Xeroxed very badly, because it probably was, um, <laughs> to be honest. But it's become an iconic image in, in the music scene, especially for this band. I see people, on the rare occasions when I see a Ballhouse shirt, which is probably four or five times a year if I'm not going to shows, but if I'm going to shows sometimes more, uh, they're invariably wearing that image on their Ballhouse shirt. And for those that don't know, that image, while I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Xeroxed because it, it came from came from a 1926 silent movie called The Sorrows of Satan, who is directed by D.W. Griffith. And if we all know our history on the racist shit that D.W. Griffith has done, I, I think that's a fun, fun little connect, too. Indeed. So that's that's. I guess that should be the opening theme of, of tonight's podcast is let's let's lead with this before we get into anything else. <laughs> well, we got the 800-pound Bella Lugosi-shaped gorilla out of the way, so we can now talk about the rest of the album. Yeah, um, and just if, if just a quick – this is the last time I'll mention – well, it's not the last time. I'll, I'll, this is the last time I'll go into depth on this, and then we'll move on. Uh, Lyrically, um, I'm going to talk about this a lot as we talk about the song, the specific songs. Uh, Bella Lugosi's Dead is exactly what it sounds like. It's about the actor Bella Lugosi dying, but it's also got a double meaning to it because it does have to do with being typecast and never really being able, your, your character never really dying. And anyone that knows me uh, knows my love for like old horror films, um, especially the early talkies, because... If you've ever seen the original Dracula, there's not any music in it except for the very beginning. Um, and because Bela Lugosi was a stage actor and had to overact, he pretty much saved that movie. So, you know, it's one of those things that, like, he always got typecast playing a horror character, and that's the one role 
everyone fucking knows him for, even though if you've ever seen his other work works, he actually is a very good actor. Um, so I think they kind of did that on purpose. And while on the surface it's about, you know, Bela Lugosi dying and the vampire dying, but not really, it could also be, I'd almost say in retrospect, this band, because even though this band is officially not together anymore, we're still fucking talking about them. Yeah. That's true. So I wanted to want to kind of get to that before we start jumping into the rest of the songs. Cool. Now that makes sense. Uh, so much like the, their lyrics in the song say, you could substitute Bauhaus for Bela Lugosi. Bauhaus is dead, undead, undead, undead. And unfortunately, there's no virginal brides filing past our tomb. No. Nor is it strewn with time's dead flowers, bereft in deathly bloom. And we're not alone in a darkened room. The Count. <laughs> uh, okay, for those that never heard the song, that was it. That that was it. Except that, for like a three well, word. There, there is a first verse, but yeah. <laughs> so uh, did, I, did I mention this band likes to mess with like poetry? Yeah. Um, but no, um, other than that, I, when you start going down the list, um, I'll just go ahead and say there's nothing on this album I really don't like. Um, but going down from the beginning, um, the only two songs from In the Flat Field are Double Dare and In the Flat Field, and those, of course, lead off the album. Um, and I actually, I kind of like the start with it. I mean, I, I do kind of think they, they probably should have done Bella Ghosty's Dead at the beginning, but... Double Dare and In the Flat Field are both very chaotic in terms of how they're played out. Um, Double Dare starts out and it's it's off-putting at first. It's almost I don't want to say a sense of dread, but it, it the first time I heard it, I was just like, is there something wrong with my radio? Because it sounds like there's too much bass going on, like you turn the volume up on the bass and then all of a sudden you know, the drum kicks in, you're like, oh, okay, my there's nothing wrong with my stereo. Everything's fine. Yeah. Uh, but that, I that, and then in the flat fields, when it starts up, again, just very, very tantric, very, like, there's something, musically, uh, there's something happening, like, you have to get to it in a hurry. Um, it's almost got that sense of, like, unease when you listen to it, if you're experiencing this album, rather than just listening to it. So I think it's a very good lead-in. I agree with that. Um, yeah, this is almost in chronological order, not quite, because as you said, Bella Lugosi's Dead is the fourth track on the album. Um, I think that whoever sequenced it probably made a decent decision to do that and that he would have like the album tracks and he would put in some non-album singles and then more album tracks. He did kind of start to place them out of order after that because he's got some uh, track six, She's in Parties, is from their last album, at least at the time that this compilation was released. They had one, like uh, Buzz said, in 2008, I think it was, 2005, something like that. But Burning from the Inside, She's in Parties, which is a great fucking song. So that's there. And then it goes back to The Sky's Gone Out and kind of bounces back and forth with uh, Mask and The Sky's Gone Out and Burning from the Inside. So... It, it, and it, I think the jumping back and forth, I actually do kind of think helps it because to me it helps pace the album very well. 
And yeah. as everyone knows, I'm a big fan of pacing. Um, so I kind of like that they did that. Um, so we do have that going on. Um, every song on here is, is a little bit different. Uh, there's there's not really one that sounds like any of the others, um, which I think is a good thing. Um, as far as lyrically, a lot of these a lot of these lyrics, believe it or not, have to do with daily life, and a lot of people don't pick up on that the first time they hear it. Um, they get lost in what they think the word that the the band is trying to say. And if you ever listen to interviews or look up, you know, what Peter Murphy is, says about his songs, a lot of them are pretty down to earth. And they're just, they found a different way of, of saying it rather than doing the punk thing and just going straight up, this is what we're talking about. So that's something I, I, I think that people might actually appreciate. I agree with that. I think that's also a very good point. I mean, you know, I, I think that if you're a fan of the band, you're not going to that's not going to surprise you. Um, now, if you're a fan of the band who has only really heard Bela Lugosi's Dead and maybe their Siggy Stardust cover or something like that, um, then yeah. But I think that if you are somebody who had the first three albums, you're probably going to really enjoy what this is serving you because this is... Um, it's not just a repackaging of those three albums, of course, because it doesn't, you know, it, it, it incorporates all the singles, like I said, but it really does a good job of not only pacing the album and giving it a good flow, but it allows some of the complexities and some of the differences in their sound over the years, the, like the three that they were initially a band and then later, really come to the forefront. And for no longer than they were really together as a band, the amount of diversity in the sound that is encapsulated on this compilation is actually pretty amazing. And it's it's always kind of made me wonder why, uh, when Peter Murphy left, why the other three went to join and, and made Love and Rockets, and there's another band they were part of too. Uh, because those are both good bands too, but I, I keep thinking I, I come back to to this band because, like, man, if you guys had just like stuck it out with you know with Pete, if you guys had like stuck together longer, like, what could you have gotten accomplished? Um, and I part of me wonders if maybe that the creative juices ceased after the, after the third album, and maybe that's where they were like, hey, let's just let's let a good thing rest and not you know beat a dead horse, as it were. And I'm part of me wonders if that's what happened. It's possible. It might have just got to the point. I mean, they've reunited a few times over the years, so I guess they're still friends. But I do think that bands, uh, we always use the marriage metaphor for bands, um, which makes sense because you wind up spending a lot of time, if you're a successful band anyway, and gig out, you wind up spending an incredible amount of time with those people, almost as much as you would a, you know, a spouse in a marriage. But I think some bands are just together for a good time, not a long time. And I think that you're probably right in the relationship, no matter what the dynamics were, had just run their course. And they didn't, because it's not like Peter Murphy's stuff really sounded like Ballhouse, or at least it didn't to me. And it's not like Love and Rockets. I mean, it kind of sounds like Ballhouse because it's all the musicians from Ballhouse. But they're different and maybe it was just one of those things of hey man we want to play different stuff and you want to write different stuff let's remain friends but there's no reason to be in a band together anymore and that might have been i i'm i'm not the i'm i'm not you know the 
the historian for this band that some other people are. So someone might, you know, school us on this. They might not. Um, but that's that's kind of how I felt about it. Just what little, what little I know personally about these people is I, I'm wondering if that's really what happened. It's just, hey, we, we've got a good thing going. Let's not ruin it. Let's just bow out before it, you know, we've worn our welcome, so to speak. Yeah. Um, well, with that, uh, is there anything technical else you want to say about this before we jump into the tracks, man? No, I'm ready to go to the tracks. All right. Um, so I guess we'll just start out. Um, as I said, the first the first two songs, Double Dare and The Flat Field. Um, Double Dare is a good song because it's it was it kind of did what punk was trying to do, like, you know, daring you to think outside the box, so to speak. Um, the lyrics are all open to interpretation, certainly, but if you start reading them, they really start, this is kind of what I think they're saying, and a lot of other people kind of back this up, and there's a few times where the band even backed it up. But Double Dare, that's essentially what it's about, is thinking outside your own box. In the Flat Field is awesome because, as weird as it is, this is the one there's a lot of Greek uh, references, Greek mythology references. Um, he talks about Theseus, for God's sake. Uh, it's essentially, though, it's about casual sex, and a lot of people don't get that the first time you listen to it. But if you go down and like start reading the lyrics, it's about being bored with just going through the motions, essentially, and not being like, okay, this is it, really? Okay, well, it's great the first few times, and okay, ooh, we're done after that, whatever. Um, and the flat field, of course, being a bed is is where that takeaway is from. Uh, the Passion of Lovers is one of my favorite songs um, because of how fast-paced it is. I almost would argue that it could be a death rock song with how it's played. Um, but essentially, Passion of Lovers is about uh, going into the one thing you're passionate about and being overwhelmed by it, and then the only thing that's left is death. That is what, is what that song is about. Uh, going down the list, of course, we talked about Velagosi's Dead. Sanity Assassin is very catchy um it's not one of my favorite songs but it's a very catchy song um it's since it's about going crazy from being up too late or dealing with insomnia which i think is something peter murphy was dealing with she's in parties is actually about marilyn monroe um people have tried to argue that with me but peter murphy has flat out said that is about marilyn monroe um silent hedges is from a book and i cannot remember what the book is off the top of my head i'll have to look it up here in a second you know ben might be doing that as we speak um hollow hills i love to death that's another one of my favorite songs from its band uh it's exactly what what the song is about he's talking about the fey and the spirit realm and being sucked into an alternate universe so to speak um mask is probably the most interesting song on here because it starts out very strange very slow paced um, almost melodic, but there's almost like a doom feel up to it. And then around the end, it picks up and becomes more jovial. Uh, so it's one of those times where you have to experience the song rather than just listen to it. Um, when you get down to kick in the eye, all of a sudden we go from being a goth band into almost a funk band. And that's really what like the next couple songs really reminded me of. Um, because kick in the eye is about being um, having a wake up call, so to speak. And it's just funny that they went that all of a sudden it shifts from going to uh, you know post punk and goth music to all of a sudden, oh, we're in a funk band now, uh, especially with the bass line. Um, then we get down to their version of Ziggy Stardust, 
If you've never heard this version of Ziggy Stardust, stop this podcast right now and go listen to it. That's This is probably the best version of that song I've heard. I'd almost say it's better than the David Bowie version. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's better than the David Bowie version, too. Yeah, I, I think if you put them side by side, you, you definitely would figure out that Ziggy Stardust, this was the better version. Um, when you get down to Dark Entries, Dark Entries is actually about the uh, portrait of Dorian Gray, if you've ever read that Oscar Wilde story. Um, that's essentially what that song is about. It's a very, it's again, the one that to me is very catchy. Um, Terror Couple Kill Colonel. It took me a long time to like that song. Um, it's very catchy. It's very popish, but it's, it's almost dance music. Like this is almost, that's the one song on here. I could say you could probably play it like in a club and people could dance to it. I've seen um, a lot of people dance to Bubba Lugosi's dance. So I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, when you get down to Spirit, Spirit's interesting. Um, essentially, it's about the muses, so to speak. Um, but it's very theater-based, and I, my understanding is it has to do with them on being on tour and having to kind of get some kind of pick-me-up, so to speak. Um, and then there's back and forth to it as well. You, you could take a lot of things out of context or in context as, as you'd like. Um, when you get down to Burning from the Inside... Um, it's a very strange song. You think it's going to be kind of dark wave, and then all of a sudden it goes into this like funk beat, and it really throws it really threw me off the first time I heard it. Um, but that's another one that's actually quite long, um, but it's enjoyable. And I find it interesting that they chose to close this close this album out with the song "Crowds," because while there is guitar in it, it's mostly Peter singing and a piano playing, and Crowds is essentially him like trying to get rid of everything and push everything away, um, kind of like being alone. So it, it, if you go down through this and go through all these lyrics and you listen to them, the first few times you listen to it, you might think this is that's not what this is about. But I go back to what I said. It's this is a goth band in in essence, um, maybe not fully like some other bands might be. Um, there's a lot of poetry going on. There's a lot of double meanings. There's a lot of like deeper meanings to these songs. Um, and they're done in a way that musically is, I think, very fun. Yeah, I tried to find what the book Silent Hedges was about, and I was not able to. My Google who is weak on that. The only thing that I had to add is that Terra Couple Kills Colonel, they got the title for that out of a newspaper headline about the Bader Meinhof group assassinating uh, a military officer. So. Which I think is cool. Um, and I actually kind of dig the song, even though it is slightly different than everything else on there. And yeah, um, this is a, this is essentially a greatest hits mix, so there's not going to be any bad songs. None of these songs are bad. You're, uh, for me, the ones that I particularly liked, other than the, the ones that I've already mentioned, which I'll just go through real quick. Um, In the Flatfields, Fellow Lugosi's Dead, Sanity Assassin, She's in Parties, uh, Hollow Hills, Siggy Stardust, Dark Entries. I mean... All of this stuff is pretty good. Yeah, um, if if I had to like nitpick this thing at all, it's it's only the length, and even then, I can't really knock it that hard because it's a compilation album. Um, that and maybe I might have taken out "Tear a Couple Kill Colonel," and it's not because it's a bad song. It's just it it it's to me, it's the one that like sticks out the most as being like, why is this in here? Um, even though it is a good song. 
but for me, for honestly, for me, all the songs stick out. I, I don't have anything really bad to say about any of them. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't either, so I guess it is uh, now time to grade this thing. Would you like to go first, or would you like me to? I'll go first. I don't care to. Um, so, like I said, I'm I'm torn. I'm not really torn on the grade, because giving it a grade is very easy. I just want to explain why I'm giving it the grade I'm giving it based on the way that I've talked about it. For one, it's not an album. It was not meant to be an album. It was not written as an album. So even though I do think whoever laid this out did a good job and created a good flow and everything, it's not going to have that going for it. And at the heart of this, this is an album review podcast, at least in my conception of it. So I'm going to have to ding it some for that. On the flip side, though, as I've said a couple of times now, all these songs are great because you're not going to make it, unless you just hate the band, you're not going to make a compilation of a band and put a bunch of shitty songs on it. So therefore, I'm going to give this a B plus. I think we should do that. We should we should get a band together and like find their best songs and make a compilation of it. If on the uh-huh. B side, make all the worst songs they've ever played and be like, ha, you have to deal with both of these. Yeah, the worst of. <laughs> the best of and worst of. Right. Uh, so for me, um, I'm going to give my two grades like I always do. I'll be quick about it this time. Um, musically, this band's on point. I, I think I've pretty much kind of pointed that out. If you've if you've never heard this band, give it a listen don't let any of the strangeness turn you off. Don't let any of the what seems like ambient music or chaotic music or what the hell is going on with the music turn you off. They know what they're doing. They're very good at it. Experience it. Don't listen to it. For that, Spain gets a fucking A+. Plus. Um, even though you're probably never going to see them live, look up some of their stuff on YouTube playing live. Everything is on point. Um, as far as how I go with this being a post-punk goth band let's just be real about this these are, these are the godfathers of this genre um you could argue that maybe joy that joy division came first and they could be but i don't think they quite went into the deep end so much as this band did um with that mm, that's with, an interesting conversation not to that interrupt, but said with that said um i'm gonna give this name minus and and i say that because i, I thought about giving it a b or b plus um i I would ding it like you do because it's a compilation album, but at the same time, I'm like, I feel like this is more, this is more about the band itself rather than an album they worked on. And there, we might go back to actually do a real album from them at some point, but um, it, because it is still technically an album, I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't knock it that hard. Um, but yeah. That's so B plus for me as far as album goes. Yeah, I might rather. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, to your comment, I I, can, I put them and Joy Division on the same plane. I just think they went in different directions. Honestly, um, it's funny. Well, I don't know if it's funny, but because neither one of them were around for very long, um, the situations for their breakups are completely different. Um, because and I can't think of the guy from Joy Division's name right now because it's late. In Curtis. Thank you. Yeah, because of Ian Curtis's death. And I don't consider Joy Division a goth band, even though they kind of get lumped into it. I don't think post-punk, which includes goth, 
becomes what it is without both of these bands. So to me, and I probably lean more towards being a fan of Joy Division over Ballhouse, even though I do respect the shit out of Ballhouse and do like a lot of their stuff. Um, to me, they're kind of like the, everybody always wants to talk about, and we kind of did this at the beginning of this podcast. Everybody always wants to talk about the Beatles and the Rolling Stones for rock music, period. Um, and when we opened this, we started talking about the Sex Pistols and the Rones kind of as the flip sides to the coin. Well, I kind of see Ballhouse and Joy Division are the flip sides to the coin of, of post-punk. And I would agree with that. And and maybe that's maybe that's kind of where I should have lumped this out as well. But I, I still kind of feel how I feel about it because while I do like Joy Division a lot, and they do kind of fit, they get into that darker aspect. Um, I don't know. I, I I felt like Bauhaus did more for it, for that genre, but that's because you know, in in Curtis had unfortunately committed suicide, and part, this is one of those situations of had he still been around, what could they have accomplished? What could they have done? What direction would they have gone in? And it's sad we'll never know the answer to that, but. At the same time, it kind of makes me wonder, man, if they'd have been around still when Bauhaus was still making their albums, like maybe they could have had like a friendly rivalry going on. We could have got some awesome music from it. Yeah. Or even a, a, a tour. Could you imagine that tour? That would have been pretty crazy. I would so be down for that tour. Yeah. And maybe there was one over in England. Fuck, I don't know. I'm not the historian of either of these bands either. So, but I, I do think you're right. Um, and and you know the 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 tragedy around Ian's passing um and what Joy Division could have become had he not passed that might be part of the allure to to the uh, to it to me the not only the tragedy but the lost potential and they may have done like Ballhouse did or at least another couple albums and then parted ways you know who the fuck knows that's, but, that's that's certainly possible too. Yeah. All right, man. Um, I don't really have anything else to say about this other than if you haven't listened to it or not are only familiar with Bella Lugosi's Dead, this is a very easy way to 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 get a guided tour through the Ballhouse discography, and I think you're gonna like what you hear. I would agree. And with that and said, uh, with us covering this topic, welcome to fall. Uh, the next album you'll be hearing from us will be after the leaves hopefully start turning color and the temperature drops even more and the spookier season will be upon us. And uh, all, uh, all summer will be lost. And I, some people might even consider summer, I don't know, a paradise, if you will. <laughs> I lost paradise, such as it were. But not without a host. Indeed. And those are the clues to what we're doing next. See if you can figure them out. See if you were right. And we'll catch you next time. On the flip side, farewell. I do, I do.